Hey, this is John Crane. And this is Zach Yanger of Super Red Labs, the future of the crypto art market, a network governed by artists, collectors, and curators. We're on the edge of NFT, the best place to find out about the most authentic projects in the growing crypto art scene. Keep listening. Hey, NFT curious listeners, stay tuned for today's episode and learn if Dogecoin is worth anything anymore. Plus, how a Chinese influencer named Irene made $7.5 million selling NFTs of herself, and it's kind of brilliant. And why the best Reese's Pieces come from a Circle K in Florida. All this and more on today's episode. Enjoy. And don't forget, we put together a gathering called NFTLA just a few months back that brought out thousands of the world's most innovative doers in the NFT space. Head to nftla.live to get tickets to our bigger, bolder, better, but just as intimate and impactful event happening in Los Angeles, March 20th to the 23rd. See you there. Welcome to The Edge of NFT with your hosts, Jeff Kelly, Ethan Janney, and Josh Krieger. The podcast that brings you the top 1% of NFTs today and what will stand the test of time. We explore the nuts and bolts and the business side, and also the human element of how NFTs are changing the way we interact with the things we love. This podcast is for the dreamers, disruptors, and doers who are pumped about this ecosystem and driving where it goes next. Today's episode features John Crane, CEO and founder, and Zach Yanger, SVP Art Advisory of Super Rare Labs the platform where you can buy and sell NFTs from the world's top artists. Give you a little bit about each of them. So John co-founded Super Rare Labs in 2018 with the mission to bring Web3 to the art market. Super Rare has been a pioneer innovating smart contracts that guarantee artist royalties in perpetuity. In 2021, John helped launch the Super Rare DAO, which sits at the center of this new digital art market with more than $260 million in crypto art sales. Prior to Super Rare, John led product for block apps at Consensus, working with Fortune 500s, exploring use cases for smart contracts, and leveraging open data. Before falling down the crypto rabbit hole, John worked in advertising as a creative tech Technologist for Digitas North America. John is also an avid surfer. Let's give you a little bit about Zach. Zach is SVP, Art Advisor for Super Rare Labs, and has been with the company since 2018 as the company's first hire outside of the founders. He led curation and marketing initiatives prior to spearheading the art advisory business with a focus around the decentralization of Super Rare's curation. Zach is at the helm of furthering engagement for the Super Rare DAO. Super Rare Labs is a well-funded and fast-moving startup on a mission to reinvent the art market for the digital age. Super Rare Labs, creators of the Super Rare Network, is a diverse and creative ecosystem and digital art marketplace. The Super Rare platform is a social marketplace for cutting-edge digital 3D VR creators and a new generation of natively digital art collectors. Zach and John, welcome to Edge of NFT. Thanks so much. Excited yeah. to be here. It's great to have you. Thanks for the intro. It's a pleasure. Art is so important. I feel like, let me just give a quick, I was in a record store recently and the guy at the front desk said, if you have any questions about the records, just let me know. And anything else as well, if you have any other questions. So I said, hey, what's the meaning of life then? And he said, music, <laughs> which is appropriate for a record store guy. But yeah, you know, it, it's a good reminder. I think we it came up on another recent episode. There's all sorts of other things that go on in life, but art is one of those things that just makes life worth living. So you guys are helping to craft the future of that crypto art market. But I want to start at the beginning with y'all. What is the super rare origin story? And I guess we'll let, let you guys decide who wants to speak first about that. Yeah, absolutely. I can jump in there. It all started in late 2017. So kind of like post ICO craze, you guys may or may not remember. I've always worked at the intersection of art and technology and have been building products, you know, software-based products of all shapes and sizes uh, for quite a while. In late 2017, as you said, I was working with Consensus, I kind of already working in the Ethereum space and had been thinking about how 
Web3 would start to interact with creative industries. I don't have a finance background and was always interested in building new business models for creatives, right? Like if you think about platforms like Instagram, Instagram wants to sell more ads, creators want to connect with their fans. And so that, you know, they're almost at odds. And so when I saw NFTs, like the early developments around building the, you know, ERC 720 standard, I got very excited thinking about, you know, the big impact that this could have for creatives and specifically for the art market. You know, at the time I was going to art fairs, all the art that was being sold was still kind of, you know, canvas based or sculpture. Whereas a lot of the art that I was interested in and creating was digitally native, right? There's no there, there almost. And so when I saw the NFT standard, I just got super excited and originally launched the project with my brother, who's our CTO, and my cousin, actually, who's our chief product officer. So we started prototyping. We launched the prototype about six months later, which is around the time that you know we met Zach, who we have up here today. and. You know, immediately on launch, there was a small but vibrant community. So, you know, we had an early Telegram group with maybe 50 people, mostly artists, some collectors, but people were very excited. You know, there was palpable energy and you could really feel that, you know, there was a spark of magic and this is going to be, be something big. For context, though, you know, the first year we launched, we did... $90,000 in total sales. So that was the entire year, uh, $90,000 in volume. And as you mentioned, you know, since then, I think, you know, we recently hit like $270 million in sales. So it was pretty dramatic growth over the past year and a half, but it still is very early days. You know, we're seeing the art market itself digitizing but also the creation process, art itself is digitizing. So these you know, two kind of trends coming together and NFTs are kind of that layer that's uh, making this all possible. Yeah, that's really great. Yeah, I can remember it was during the pandemic, I'm sure NFT was going on, but it was before you know we got involved in the podcast and everything started to explode. And I was looking for something to make my some of my Instagram posts interesting. And I found some art website and this guy was just making little cool loops of some you know, alternative universe or whatever. And I was like, I just reached out to him. I said, hey, these are cool. Can I like use these on my Instagram posts? It felt kind of weird because I was like, this guy should be compensated for this, but he doesn't seem to have any way to get compensated. So he doesn't really care. He's like, yeah, go ahead, use my art. And it's just so fascinating how quickly that all shifted. Like within months of me doing something like that, someone like that had a way to monetize something that had just been kind of like, uh, that people had given up, I guess, you know, in many ways. Yeah, I mean, you in the pandemic and like if you look at the rise of nfts and this insane kind of fast rise that happened over the last couple of years it corresponded very closely with the pandemic i mean museums shutting down galleries shutting down people being stuck in their houses on their computers all day i think it really led to helping you know catalyze and, and get this industry off the ground faster than it probably would have without the pandemic. And so I think it was a bit of like a blessing in disguise. Like at that time, there weren't many businesses in the world that were successfully operating through a pandemic, like pretty much any type of business outside of running like an online marketplace was hurting at the time. And so I think, you know, for Super Rare, it was also like perfect timing <laughs> for the pandemic because it, as horrible as the pandemic was, it, it brought everybody online and it brought everybody into these different communities. Yeah. And, and I mean, I remember that moment when you guys dropped your token to thank the community for being a part of, of it. And it was really an unprecedented viral moment. I was actually at Bright Moments that day, one of the NFT galleries in Venice. We actually did a show there at the very beginning. And it was the talk of the town because it was such a disruptive idea of celebrating co-creation. Yeah, it wasn't really a question, more of a sort of just a honorary moment to also acknowledge in your history. Yeah, absolutely. I was surprised that, you know, how under wraps it was, you know, it was pretty exciting to see it roll out and the waves that it made throughout the community. And now you guys are making new waves. We're really excited to talk a little bit about the Rare Pass, which is another historic crypto art collecting opportunity. 24 artists in the mix, all sort of very important artists that help shape the crypto art movement. 
would love to sort of understand the details of this past and the benefits and how this project came to be. Yeah, for sure. Thank you for asking. So we've been working on this project for many months now, and we're getting ready for the big launch next week. Really couldn't be more excited for this new collecting model and this project. We're really seeing it, as you mentioned, as like a historic collecting opportunity and a chance for collectors to get access to a really premium collection of crypto art from some of the most respected artists in this space with a single transaction. Like we've really put in a lot of work to this Genesis season to put together like a lineup of artists that has a really diverse range of styles, but also are all going to be really exciting to collectors. And so collectors of this rare pass at the end of this program are going to be seated with an incredible collection of works that we hope will help them kind of go on to becoming more and more interested in the crypto art space. I mean, if you look at like the craziness of last year of 2021 in, in NFTs, you know, we saw hundreds of thousands of new collectors come into this space through Bored Apes and rarity trait focused collectibles, but only a small fraction of those people have yet made the jump into one-of-one art collecting because it's just such a higher barrier to entry. I mean, it's way easier to go to raritytools.com, say, I want this collection, tell me which one is the most rare and buy it based on the trades. But to have tens, hundreds of thousands of artists that you have to kind of research through, figure out you know, who these artists are, what they're doing, where should I focus? It's a big undertaking that really is a barrier to entry. And so a big part and goal of this program is to create like almost like a stepping stone curated option for collectors to be able to get access into this space without having to do all of the research required to identify who these artists should be. Lastly, just on the past, like I'll get into like some of the key details, but like it's a rallying cry at the end of the day. I mean, we've all seen like the NFT media headlines over the last six months. NFTs are a scam. There's nothing innovative or important to see here. Like, like this is all going to zero. But like we couldn't disagree more. Like yes, you know, NFTs and collectibles are going through a bit of a turbulent time right now, but crypto art is actually thriving. I mean, last month we had more collectors on super rare transact than we did at the height of last year's 2021 market in terms of actual number of collectors. And so we know that there's massive interest in crypto art versus collectibles. And so the goal of this program is not only to help onboard new collectors and give them an easier way in, but also to excite the current collectors in the space. Yeah, I love that. And those are some powerful numbers. How many unique collectors do you guys have on Super Rare that have collected like at least one piece? Correct me if I'm wrong, John, but last I checked, it was in the like six to 7,000 range. But what's really interesting is that there's been like 200,000 users to actually connect a wallet and create an account, but only 6,000 of them have ever purchased an artwork. And so there's a massive group of people that we know are interested, that we know want to get into it. They just don't know where to start. It's like you looking at all these artists, like where on earth do I focus? Like, how do I know what to do? Yeah, that's a big part. Yeah, I mean, Jeff and I come from the food world and I would consider good food a form of art, but ultimately simple choice is really powerful for mass adoption, right? And like, you could get overwhelmed choosing what you want to eat and choosing what artists you want to support because they're all amazing in their own ways. Would love to sort of dive into some of the details of the project more. So Who are these artists? These, I assume it's a really diverse mix of folk, maybe some artists that are newer to the family and some artists that have been there since the beginning. Yeah, for sure. So like we, when kind of diving into curating this group of artists, we wanted to make sure that we were selecting a really diverse group of styles and artists that could give access to like, not just a series of works that's all going to be the same. We wanted people to really get a diversified collection of works. Um, And so it's kind of, there's 24 artists, it's split into two distinct groups. So 12 of these artists are what we're calling the airdrop artists. And so over the course of the next 12 months, there's going to be a monthly airdrop to all 250 pass holders. So there's 250 passes. If you hold one of these passes each month going forward for the next year, you're going to receive an airdropped artwork 
from one of these 12 artists. And so they're creating a series of 250. So that's not like a multi-edition of 250 where it's the same image 250 times. It's a series. Like if you know X-Copy, Grifters, or Matt Cain's Gazers, they all have a similar style to them, but they're all unique. And so those are what the pass holders each month in the first week of the month, the next year, they'll receive an airdrop from one of those 12 artists. Those artists are X-Copy, Sarah Zucker, Robness, Pindar Van Arman, Otherworld, Matt Kane, OSF, Krista Kim, Helena Serin, Coldy, Carlos Marcial, and Anne Spelter. And so just in those 12 artists alone, like the range of styles is incredible. I mean, there's somebody that's touching basically every style of digital art that we know of so far. There's also going to be 12 additional artists that are essentially creating three unique one-of-one artworks that each month, one of those artists, there will essentially be a random giveaway, worked with Transient Labs to build out a completely on-chain randomization mechanism through Chainlink VRF that essentially allows all pass holders to have an equal chance each month to win one of like these three extra rare grail one-of-one pieces. And so that's the list of artists. There's a lot kind of over this next week that... You know, we're really kind of excited for things to get underway. I mean, there's when it comes to like how the actual auction is going to work and the details for this, it's like, yeah, break it down for us. Cool. So it was really important to us that we didn't decide the value of the pass. Like we didn't want to like arbitrarily just like say, okay, this pass is worth 100 ETH or 50 ETH or 10 ETH. We wanted like this community of collectors to decide in a fair way, like what these 250 passes should cost. And so we've set it up where essentially the first rare pass is going to be auctioned next Tuesday, the 15th in a 24 hour auction. Whoever essentially is the highest bidder on that pass is going to become the owner of rare pass number one, which has some extra special benefits. That person will get number one in the airdrop series. They'll get a bunch of swag and other things that you can see on the rare pass microsite. And then the next day, as soon as that pass one auction ends, we'll begin the Dutch auction. So let's say pass one sells for 50 ETH. The Dutch auction the next day for the remaining passes will kick off at 50 ETH and run for six hours with a $0 end price. And so essentially, we don't know what it's going to sell for. The community of collectors is going to decide this could sell for a lot. It could sell for $1. Whatever the community decides this pass is worth, is what it's going to sell for. And that's really kind of the goal of it. And then going forward, we think that it just is, it's going to become a really fun program because everybody knows this list of 24 artists. They're all amazing in their own right, but nobody's going to know the schedule. And so it's like, you know that you're getting access to these artists, but you don't know who's coming in January or February. And so if you want to get all of them, you got to hold the pass for the whole year, but you can buy the pass, hold it for three months, get three airdrops, and then sell it if you got the artist you wanted. But you may have to wait longer to get the one you're waiting for. And so depending on your style and who you're you know, interested in collecting, I think we'll see some fun kind of secondary market movement as people kind of try and buy a pass before they think their favorite artist is releasing. So overall, we just we hope that this can become like a new model and this can be the template for it that can really kind of create a much easier way to get access to artworks, get access to artists. We think this the future should be curated by different entities. Like I would love to see an emerging artist pass where it's all brand new artists, their first entry to the space. It's at a may, likely a lower price point, but the opportunity is endless. And so we just really want to have like a great template for how to make that into a program that can benefit all of the artists and collectors on the platform. Very cool. Very thoughtful approach. Yeah, it's a really nice intersection of some of the best practices, if you will, of the the last couple of years that have arisen from the world of NFTs, right? And the various launches and different angles that have arisen within the NFT space, right? There's all kinds of different drops from you know super heavy art-based to PFP drops to you know heavy encore functionality and utility. So that then intersected also just with some of the core goodness from the traditional art world, right? And the artists themselves that are elevating these new works. So really cool to see. I'm I'm excited to see where that goes. Sounds like it's going to really catch hold. 
So one of the other pieces of that, we were talking to about it earlier was just a simple choice and trying to craft a space whereby it's easy for people to get the works that they want and to not feel overwhelmed, especially people that are new to the space. And speaking of space, you guys have independent galleries that you call spaces. And within those, people can curate, promote, sell their artwork, but also it's distinctive in that there is an opportunity for creation process and a shaping evolution process that's distinctive. And I wanted to ask you guys about that. Like, How does that actually work within the spaces that you have on the platform? Yeah, great question. So we announced spaces with the launch of the DAO last year. And like you said, spaces are independent galleries or curators that are part of the super rare ecosystem. It was in thinking about how this grows, you know, how can super rare support more artists, support more collectors? Our curation team, while, you know, it's one of the best in the world, we can only onboard so many individuals. And so in thinking about how can you thoughtfully scale curation, uh, the idea was to bring on additional galleries and curators. And so the way it works is we have something that is called the space race and galleries can apply. So they submit an application and token holders review these applications and then vote in. So it's a democratic election to vote on these new galleries. So we actually just wrapped up around our most successful space race application so far. So we had over 70 applicants and we're going to go. So the voting starts Monday next week. So uh, for, yeah, for any rare holders listening, we're going to be voting next Monday and it's super exciting. You know, these are some of these applications are incredible, right? These are very prestigious galleries, curators from all over the world who are coming into the NFT ecosystem in full force in a serious way. That's really cool. That's super cool. And like, there's some elements in there around shaping those spaces over time as well. Are there additional like voting mechanisms? Like how do those spaces evolve with, you know, token holder and community involvement? Yeah. So I, we kind of, we view spaces as a platform, right? So there are some spaces themselves that are DAOs, right? So these spaces are kind of self-managing in different ways. So, you know, have some that are run by individual curators, some are art collectives. So they're managed in different ways. And this is super exciting. Yeah. I think Kind of like with the rare pass, right? Like Super Rare Labs is really pioneering new models and then pushing them out to the rest of the ecosystem to continue to use and evolve. And so we're really excited to see how the pass takes shape, but then also to see how artists and spaces within our community also take the tools that we're building and grow the ecosystem. Nice. Yeah, right on. Very. Yeah. Speaking of DAOs, you have the rare token holders that collectively govern the Super Rare DAO. Multi-sig smart contract deployed on Ethereum. So it's just a very fair, decentralized format there. What are some of that key components there? And how do you expect that to evolve over time? Yeah. So the DAO is composed of a few components. You know, so we did the airdrop last summer. So tokens went to all users who had used the platform, which is something that is really only possible with crypto and web three. So very excited to take this path forward. The token holders govern a community treasury. So in the process of setting up the DAO, all fees that are collected in the super marketplace flow through to the DAO to then be reallocated to continue to grow the ecosystem. And so we have an improvement proposal process. So, you know, we have a forum where people can ask for comments on, you know, updates to the protocol and changes they're looking to see. And then when things gain traction, they can go up for votes. So we actually have a sort of like a checks and balances system and that there is super rare governance council who kind of green lights proposals to go up for vote. So anyone can put forward a proposal and then work to get community support. They'll work with the governance council. Those proposals will go up for vote. And then to the extent that funds are needed, you know, the multi-sig signers can sign a transaction and go deploy those funds. You continue to grow this new art economy. Nice. Yeah. It's my little suburb here. You know, I've been to like a couple things, you know, town hall meetings, condo association meetings. This sounds a little bit more fun, right? I mean, <laughs> deciding how to fund like cool things that are going on. So uh, I like the kind of excitement and fun that goes on there. Yeah. I mean, just to add to that, I mean, there's a lot of challenges with DAOs that people are navigating in terms of how they function, what governance looks like, how much control 
how much time do people want to spend in all these communities, right? Like if you're a member of a one DAO that takes all your time, can you be participating in another DAO? And what about your day job? I'm really curious, just from a DAO governance and building perspective, what, what you guys have learned about what makes a good DAO and maybe some of the things that have surprised you along the way. Yeah, absolutely. So there's certainly many challenges. And you know, a lot of this is kind of being invented and developed on the fly. But I think one thing that we've learned is that they're incredibly powerful and that you can have community ideas bubble up that are super impactful. And so I think it's a very powerful way to crowdsource and get the community excited to kind of think of new ideas or new changes to the protocol and like how we want this ecosystem to evolve. The obviously human coordination has, you know, has been challenging since the beginning of time. And some of the learnings, how we're thinking about evolving our model is, you know, if you look at some of the other DAOs that are fairly successful, kind of building in subcommittees or groups that kind of have area expertise, you know, so whether that's like finance, thinking about how to rebalance a treasury, technology, obviously, you know, like smart contract auditing, important for us curation, right? I think that's one of the things that makes Super Air incredibly unique, isn't just technological changes to the protocol, but token holders can influence curation in the network, right? So we're the idea there being giving power to different groups and communities to help build out better representation across the board in the arts. And so I think seeing these different groups of people that have different expertise kind of bubble up organically. And I think that's a powerful way to kind of distribute power, but at the same time, efficiently build and innovate. Yeah, it's really interesting to see where all the DAO stuff is going. And we'll have a whole track at NFTLA just to talk about DAOs because there's a lot going on in that area, a lot of innovation that's happened. They're independent of just digital art and how to do auctions and all this other stuff. So you guys are definitely on the cutting edge, which is why it's been a long time coming having you on Edge of NFT. Uh, we'll have to get you in the mix more often. But what are some of the other edgy things on your roadmap going forward? Are there any other partnerships, collaborations, features that we should be on the lookout for? Yeah, I mean, there's lots of exciting stuff. I don't know that I can dive into uh, all of it right now. But some of the kind of like how we're thinking about the future, right, is we're if you think about what Super has done is really pioneer things that are fundamental and part of more equitable art markets. So if you think about like artist royalties, collector royalties, the rare pass, right? Like trying to build innovative tools to grow this ecosystem, thinking about how this grows long-term, we kind of see Super Air being the place that's focused on art. You know, if you have platforms like OpenSea or general purpose marketplaces, that service lots of different verticals or industry, Super Rare is hyper-focused on art. So, you know, we're not branching out into domain names or anything and really building tools for what the art market of the future needs. And so for us, this year, we started the process of adding additional smart contracts. So we started with just one Super Rare smart contract that artists minted into. We then added sovereign smart contracts. So these are smart contracts that artists uh, can manage themselves and are expanding that into, it doesn't matter what platform a smart contract or like where the smart contract lives. If this is an X copy token, collectors want to see that token. They want to see information about that token and are really focused on building not only the creative infrastructure, but also kind of like the economic infrastructure to help this market grow. And so we're taking a very artist centric approach but trying to build the infrastructure for this new art market. Yeah, just to, I guess, add on to John, I mean, from my side, you know, it's something really exciting that, you know, we've long been working on and that we're kind of really starting to zero in on is like, how do you decentralize curation on a platform like Super Rare in a way that still maintains a level of quality? Like we've seen a lot of platforms go completely open where anyone can go to the platform, mint whatever they want, but that inevitably leads to a lot of impersonating, a lot of scamming. And so how do you maintain the trust that we've built up with our current group of collectors while also decentralizing the decision as around who, which artists get in? And I think that, you know, we've really arrived to what we feel is going to be a really kind of innovative approach to this, where essentially, like, 
Joshua, for instance, like the art that you like might be completely different than the art that I like. Like, I'll tell you right now that the art that John likes is way different than the art that I like. Like we have very different tastes. And so when John goes to Super Rare, he should be able to see the art and the artists that he wants to see and not have to see the art and artists he doesn't want to see. Same with me. And so big goal in how we're planning to decentralize curation, but maintain that collector trust and quality barrier is that there's going to be essentially a new kind of list model where currently we've got all of these spaces that John mentioned. There's 25 currently, will soon be 35, many more into the next year. Each of these spaces is essentially a list of artists. And so like if you go to Uniswap right now, for instance, and you want to buy a token, you can see on Uniswap's UI that Uniswap's kind of key list of tokens that are available but you can also take it a little bit step further and see, you know, I want to see CoinGecko's list. I want to see CoinDesk's list. And so in this world, you can come to Super Rare and you can kind of turn on and off the different lists of the different curation entities within the platform and really try to customize the experience of what you're looking at and the artists that you're interacting that's really amazing. And the next step is that we use Neuralink to plug into like Jeff, Ethan, and my brains. And then out pops the curated list of art fits all of our preferences. Or I think about like trying to buy art with my girlfriend. And how cool would it be if there was like this way to intersect her taste and my taste and come up with some ideas that we might both enjoy? Yeah. You know, it's actually. Art, if that art resembles anything like the sort of face meld that our graphics team made between the three of us might not be interested. <laughs> I think you're going to have to send us that uh, face meld. Sounds yeah. uh, amazing, but also potentially terrifying. <laughs> right on, guys. Well, hey, guys, look, we really appreciate you sharing all the details of, of what's going on over there. So much goodness happening. And as you said at the very beginning, John, it is the beginning, right? Like we're really scratching the surface of what's possible there. And I love the continued focus on art and what it can become. It's such an important part of Web3. So kudos across the board. We want to shift gears a little bit though and move to a section that we call Edge Quick Hitters. The intent of this is to get to know you a little bit better. We have 10 questions. We ask every single guest of our podcast and we're looking for short answers, you know, single word or few word. But, uh, we may dive a little deeper here or there. You fellas ready to jump in? Let's do it. Okay. All right. So John, we'll start with you. Question number one, what's the first thing you remember ever purchasing in your life? Yes. Yeah, so this is a tough question. And the first thing I can remember is a pink skateboard that I bought at a swap meet near where I grew up. We used to go with my cousins, you'd get $5. And the first memory I have is picking up this pink skateboard for five bucks at the swap meet. Solid purchase. That's awesome. Zach, how about you? The first thing I remember purchasing would have Definitely been Reese's Pieces at the Circle K in Tampa, Florida. Nice. That's super specific, bro. Is there like a Circle K that was like your go-to for candy and stuff? Go-to. It was like right down the street. I'd ride my bike over there, like save up all our money, go spend it in one night. Nice. And I got to ask John, so swap meet is a particular term, right? Is that West Coast? Were you West Coast based? Is that where you grew up? Or Yeah. So I grew up in San Diego. In San Diego. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Right, because flea markets, more East Coast. Like I used to hit the swap meet and uh, a bunch of different places out West growing up as well. So I had to ask that too. Since you brought it up, I got to say, there's this brand called Swaporama over out here in the Chicago area, which is fascinating if you look at what's going on with it. It's been around for years. It started as this kind of like cowboy swap meet kind of thing. But our local one, it's fascinating. It looks exactly like if you went to a market in like Peru or Mexico or something like that. Cause like the local Hispanic population just basically just taking over whatever that space is and created like the type of market that they're used to having, right? So it's really interesting to see the evolution of this thing that started with like a cowboy theme. And it's got like, you know, the local one has like a Latin American theme at this moment. That's a fascinating world. There it is. Question number two, John, what's the first thing you remember ever selling in your life? The first thing that I sold was my mom's garden gnome and i sold it to our neighbor for two dollars and pretty sure she then returned it to my mom and i got in trouble so you didn't have permission yeah i did not have permission i think i was probably <laughs> doing like zach was doing looking for some money for candy but first thing i sold nice i like that your neighbor was coveting the garden gnome 
That's interesting. She was willing to buy it. <laughs> For two bucks, that's a great pickup. Yeah, it's a steal. How about you, Zach? The uh, first thing I sold that comes to mind would be trumpet that my mom got me when I was, I think, like seven or eight, and I just instantly hated it as an instrument. I always like gravitated towards guitar. And so I, I sold my trumpet to get a guitar. Nice. I mean, that ain't rock and roll, man. I don't know what is. <laughs> so cool. Question number three, John, what's the most recent thing you purchased? I purchased a seltzer water right before this podcast. My most recent purchase would have been last night. Coldy, actually one of the 24 Rare Pass artists, released a sync blueprint called Market Psychology. I grabbed one of those last night. See it on the screen here, but it, it says panic and it kind of it teams up really nice with just the overall sentiment of the last couple of days. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Very excited about that purchase. Yeah, that's a cool one. And by the way, that seltzer water, that's a risky venture. You're getting ready to jump on the podcast, right? You never know. <laughs> I actually have been drinking seltzer water. I ha- actually had to have some today, LaCroix. Yeah. And as I'm reading the intros, I'm like, please don't burp right in the middle of this intro. <laughs> like, just let's, let's not do that, Ethan. <laughs> right, right. Awesome. Cool. So, okay. Question number four, guys. John, what's the most recent thing you sold? So I think the most recent thing I sold was a piece of art on Super Rare. And it was when we launched, you can now use Rare as a payment method on Super Rare. And so I was uh, experimenting with that. And so, yeah, it's probably about uh, two months ago, but sold a piece of art for some Rare on Super Rare. Makes a ton of sense. Zach, how about you? Most recent thing I sold would have been all of my Dogecoin. Decided to finally get out of that game. That was yesterday. You hit the Twitter pump? The Elon Twitter pump? Is that nice. what you <laughs> I mean, I think we were actually thinking of letting people use Dogecoin for an FTLA, but but clearly the bandwagon's over, it sounds like. If you're yeah, a trendsetter, so if you're for selling, now. everyone else is going to stop. Yeah, they should probably use Rare instead of Dogecoin for uh, an FTLA. Yeah, let's have that combo. All right, question number five, John, what is your most prized possession? Yeah, this is a tough one. And... I'm going to have to go with my 1990 Honda van. So it's a little four-wheel drive Japanese surf van. Sweet. Yeah, we'll have to take a look at that one. Sounds pretty cool. Zach, how about you? My most prized possession would definitely be like a 1960s Stratocaster guitar. That's by far my favorite guitar I've ever had. And I hold it very dearly. So that would be my favorite for sure. Right on. Very cool. All right, we'll switch the order here a little bit up. So Zach, we'll start with you on question six. If you could buy anything in the world, digital, physical service, or an experience that's currently for sale, what would it be? I think, you know, I've actually been going back and forth and like, so every time there's kind of some sort of like market craziness, I tend to like freak out and sell an NFT that I shouldn't have sold. It's happened almost every time there's been like a big crash in the market. few months ago when ETH fell back, I, it was like 900 or so. I sold my CryptoPunk that I've been holding on to for many years. And I've literally regretted the decision since like the second I accepted it. It's literally every day since I've been kind of keeping my eye on that floor, trying to find one that I like again. But I very much want to get CryptoPunk back in my life. Get that bad boy back. Yeah. I hear you, man. John, how about you? Yeah. Relatedly... I missed out on the X copy grifter drop and have also been keeping an eye on the grifters floor. So X copy is definitely one of my top favorite artists. And so I feel like no real collection would be complete without a grifter. So, yeah, I mean, you and Will Shark, I had the chance to meet him in Singapore. And man, is he an X copy fan? He's the OG. That's right. Okay. Question number seven, Zach, if you could pass on one of your personality traits to the next generation, what would it be? Great question. Yeah. I've always kind of seen myself as like somewhat of like a hustler in a sense. Like I've never, like, I don't come from money. Like I've always really kind of had to work hard for everything I have. And like, I've always never been afraid to take risks and like really kind of go for what I want. Like meeting the super rare guys in 2018 and forcing them to let me work with them. But that's what I would say is just my ability to kind of enter 
risky situations, confidence based on my beliefs. Hell yeah, man. Hustle, baby. John, how about you? Yeah, tough question. I think probably having worked in crypto for quite a while and also spent a lot of time at startups, just the ability to stay calm during periods of extreme stress and pressure and just take it and say, all right, this is how things fucking are. I guess we'll just fix this problem and keep going. Um, That's, think, um, yeah. There should be a word for that, right? Yeah, in, there in should the, be. In the NFT lexicon, there's so many fun words. We but could coin should, one. We could coin there, one. Yeah. There needs to be a word for that. Yeah. Well, equanimity is the the normal word for it, but maybe it's... Is that a normal word? Oh, really? I mean, whatever. <laughs> I don't know. I guess it's a woo-woo word, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> little flowery, little flowery. <laughs> we'll work on that one. Question number eight, Zach. If you could eliminate one of your personality traits from the next generation, what would that be? Yeah. Like, I guess, to what John just said. So me and John are kind of complete opposites in that sense. So John is like better than anyone I've ever encountered at like keeping a really level head through extreme stressful situations. And I'm far more quick to react and quick to get emotional. And I think just in my time at Super Rare over the last four years, like that's been, I think, where I've grown the most and what I've like learned the most from John in particular is like his ability to really like keep like a top level positive view of things and not let like the nitty gritty shit that happens on a day-to-day basis really like i used to like spend days being pissed off about somebody tweeting something negative about super rare and it's just you can't survive in this world with that mentality yeah no, i hear you man great evolution john how about you man yeah this is also a tough one i'd say one time where the, the calmness breaks down is when the hanger creeps in so if i uh, the blood sugar drops too low I will tend to lose my cool. And so if I could eliminate that, I think many things would be easier. So that's a good one, man. I would take that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> solve a lot that. of my problems. <laughs> <Hell> <laughs> yeah. Eliminate hanger. All right. Question number nine, Zach. What'd you do just before joining us on the podcast? I had a call with a potential strategic partner for the Rare Pass program. So we've as part of the Rare Pass program, we've got a set number of the passes that are set aside for strategic partners that are going to kind of add some sort of really interesting utility for pass holders. And so had a great call on that right before this. And yeah, have another one after. All right, right on. And John, how about you? Yeah. So right before this, I mean, I guess I kind of already covered it, but I, I went and got this seltzer water. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. Okay. There it is. The seltzer water returns. He's telling the truth. His answer didn't change. So that's the truth. That's right. We, we appreciate it. <laughs> And then last one, Zach, sounds like we know, but what are you doing next right after the podcast? Yeah, just more calls. We'll sleep when we die. Hashtag hustle, right on. And John, how about you? Yeah, so I'm also prepping for some meetings I've got tomorrow. So I'm actually out here in LA today and there's the 11 Media Summit that's happening in Hollywood. So prepping for some meetings, going to go spread the good word about the Rare Pass. Oh, are you still going to be in town on the 14th? Are you? Unfortunately, no, I'm headed out on Saturday. We've got a cool entertainment gaming event where you could be a fly in the wall, not directly art related, but you can just chill with us next time. Yeah, I'll have to coordinate with you next time. Yeah, absolutely. Always fun things happen. Well, guys, that's Edge Quick Hitters. Really appreciate it. Thanks for sharing with us. Hey there, NFT Space Cadet. Let's zoom in on the globe from outer space today to Abbott Kinney Boulevard in Venice Beach, LA. Let me show you a cosmic tech beacon that shines out among the bustle of fashion, art, and food there. It's a thriving software dev, data science, and design studio known as AE Studio, where scores of the sharpest minds have come together to help founders and execs create software and machine learning solutions that are not only profitable and increase our agency as humans, but that give us that warm, fuzzy feeling that elegant tech so wonderfully does. AE's breadth of talent allows them to build anything from instillvideo.com, it's a health, fitness, and wellness app that makes your chakras tingle, to award-winning brain-computer interface solutions that could quite literally bend our minds. Oh, and keep an eye out for Token Runners, their NFT white-label marketplace, as well as our highly anticipated NFT drop, Boomer NFT. 
Now, for all you DGENs who strive to shed the cummerbund and pearls, comes a jaw-dropping, awe-inspiring partnership not seen since the heyday of Shaq and Kobe. It's called Edge of AE Studio, and you can find out all about it at edgeofae.com. That's right, this full-service, soup-to-nuts, end-to-end, whole-enchilada NFT service can help you, yes, you, Randy, launch your NFT project. Edge of NFT and AE Studio have come together like Voltron to get your project in gear so you can hightail it straight to the moon, stardom, and maybe even your own private yacht. Go to edgeofae.com to find out more. That's edgeofae.com. Actual results may vary depending on moon landing location, domain of stardom, scale and model of yacht, as well as whether scale model of yacht or actual yacht. Word on the street is we got a pretty special hot topic queued up. Ethan, what do you say? Yes, we do. So for today's sponsored hot topic, we will feature Ivan Perez. He's the CEO of Howl Labs, co-founder at Teller Finance. He co-founded Teller Finance in 2020, offering the first pathway towards under-collateralized lending in DeFi. He also spearheaded the first collection of NFTs to be used as collateralized credit warrants in 2021. His efforts at HAL Labs, formerly known as Multiplied, include support for NFT projects totaling $40 million plus in sales, marketing communications for some of the biggest industry projects, and in-house metaverse projects now under development. So let's bring on Ivan and have a little bit of chat with him. It's a privilege to be able to have him here today. Ivan, are you able to pop on your camera? Are you with us? Unable to pop up the camera up right now. So I think someone needs to give me permissions. Yeah, I might have nixed you or something. Oh, I thought accident. it was because like you were in the bath or something. I'm on it. I can't join, guys. I'm chilling. I wasn't. Over here. I forgot <laughs> that I was is. doing this. Those, Looking those, sharp, those, of course, as those always. Child locks with you know <laughs> Ivan are really important. <laughs> nice. Well, good to see you, man. Yeah. Thank you for the wonderful intro, by the way. Appreciate that. Pretty happy to be on this show. Definitely, you know, we have a pretty good relationship with the NFTLA guys. So it's cool to, I'm going to call it double dip. <laughs> there it is. Yeah. No, I mean, look, it's really cool how our relationship has evolved in this space, right? Just working with you guys and some of your clients. Uh, I think the first time we met each other was the Quentin Tarantino moment in New York. You guys helped to orchestrate. It was a big moment, a big news moment, and we've gotten to know you. And then I go to Asia and all of a sudden you guys are howling at the moon. You got a new name and all sorts of fun stuff happening. What's going on there? Yeah. So I'll explain a little bit. So as um, you guys entered, we used to be multiplied. Traditionally, we were a PR firm. I think we started noticing a certain maturation in space and the need for marketing to start providing support towards PR just being brand clout. So we wound up really shifting gears. We moved into this labs model. So we still have our PR and marketing arm a lot more fluid now. So it's kind of like a combination hybrid model, but we are now starting to look into outside projects. So we talked to a few people on Web 2.5. There is an under wraps project that we're also developing. And that's actually going to be a lot of like NFT fi. So some of a continuation of the things that I was pretty obsessed with while I was still working at Teller. Yeah, dude. So like you mentioned NFT fi here, and no, I don't know that that's necessarily something we hear very often. Like, what does that mean you know, to you? It's certainly a relatively new term in our orbit. And how did you encounter this term? Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to brag and say that this NFT collection that we sold via Teller in 2021 was to me like one of the first incidences of NFT Fi. We just sadly didn't coin it. <laughs> but I think easiest way to explain NFT Fi is the crossover between NFT-based technology and the utility it has within the DeFi world. So we're already seeing plenty of exchanges, even like Blur.io, which allows you to treat an NFT like you might do, let's say, a, any kind of like other tradable good. And we're also seeing people using NFTs for loans as well. So a few copycat projects that realistically did a, a pretty good job. I think the real hot take is back when we launched this collection, long-term roadmap for us was how do we move from NFTs being used as collateral to NFTs being treated almost as a DeFi identity of sorts. So similar to what's going on in Spectral Finance now, but back then we wanted this DeFi identity to be portable. 
be an NFT. The tech wasn't there, but now that we have dynamic NFTs, I think we are certainly able to move into that. And it's something I'm really interested in developing. Well, you missed that dynamic side too. Just sorry, real quick, like that—that's something we've been talking about from day one as one of the like interesting possible developments, right? With NFTs, that capability with that underlying technology, but we hadn't seen a ton of it come about so far. Sounds like we're kind of on the cusp, maybe of seeing something special evolve. Yeah, maybe like, I guess for anyone who's who will be listening that hasn't necessarily looked too much into dynamic NFTs, I do think they're relatively new in terms of everyone paying attention to it now, but it really is at its core. It's an NFT whose metadata can change based on preset or varying conditions, right? So like an engineer can encode automatic changes into the NFT smart contract with instructions to the actual underlying NFT, meaning how can the metadata change? So we could have NFTs that change with the passage of time, right? I could have an NFT that maybe represents me and ages over time and requires interactions to be kept alive. It's like a Tamagotchi on steroids almost. So I think if, to me at least, kind of bring this back to the NFT five portion, probably the coolest application for dynamic NFTs is its ability to interact with external data right? And draw data in real time. If you do that, you could technically have an NFT example where the metadata of the NFT evolves based on an individual's financial or social data. So for example, you could have, as we once wanted, an NFT that's sort of like the pseudo DeFi social passport that can then be integrated into a metaversal space and actually used for some sort of utility, even if it's transacting with consumer goods sales. Yeah, this is really interesting stuff. And and I think we can all agree like the dynamic and, and actually long-term potential of an NFT has really yet to be fully explored. And and we're just scratching the surface when we say that, right? There's so much that's yet to be imagined. Ivan, you did miss out on the chance to coin the word NFT fi, but you can coin a word today if you like. We're trying to figure out what's the web three word for equanimity during your crypto crisis. There is yeah, no I word. Mean, I, you yeah, figured it's, it's out. It's very you relevant because it here on to, Edge of NFT. To be honest, I'd say we've already coined a term for that. And oh, it's, what is it? It's, ho- it's HODL. It's you just know? HODL. Like, right. It's just HODL. You know, these markets are acyclical in nature. We kind of disregard the level of explanation to what happens in this market that behavioral economics offers. I actually just put out a tweet the other day. I won't get into too much, but we all know some crazy shit's happening in the crypto space and. I was talking about Thaler's ideas on risk aversion growing as an individual's wealth grows. And this is the average individual, right? And then their like risk tolerance increasing as they lose money, right? Human beings are just perfectly irrational. However, I think we're in an industry built by outliers whose risk tolerance only increases the richer they get, right? We just get worse with it, which is, I think, why HODL is such a great term. It's like, we're probably the only community that celebrates watching this stuff crash. You know, we're just like, (laughs) all right, I'm going to buy some more. Yeah, man. You're probably probably right, dude. That makes John the ultimate HODLer. (laughs) Yeah. Based on what we know about him. It's true, man. It's true. And John, absolutely. you guys, I'm curious also within your ecosystem, Within Superware, are dynamic NFTs a part of that right now within the artist community? So they, we have dynamic NFTs in that they're interactive. It's like it's not dynamic in that the metadata is updating. It's all the, the NFTs on Superware. Kind of part of the value prop is that you have cryptographic proof of like what the art is at time of mint. And so we have dynamic NFTs that are interactive and more experiential, but the metadata itself is not updating. Not there yet. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, it seems like there's some really interesting things happening there. And I, I feel like once you turn the artists loose on that technology, when they really recognize how to leverage it, like some probably really cool and unexpected shit is going to happen when you get those creative minds put to work, probably more than any of us could even think of at this moment. Yeah. So excited to see where that goes. I mean, very cool. Yeah, I mean, in this, this term earlier, also Web 2.5. And for folks that are unfamiliar with that, like, what does that mean to you? What does Web 2.5 mean to you? Yeah, Web 2.5 is pretty interesting. I mean, it really just suggests that there's this new niche, traditional companies that want to expand their product line using Web 3 technology. And in essence, I think that's a pretty big opportunity for us to work with these companies and help them put forth cohesive offerings that will help drive adoption in the space and 
we've seen examples, right? I have seen companies, particularly like fashion industry is interesting because it feels almost like low hanging fruit for them to use NFTs. So I've been seeing companies like Prada or even Givenchy creating metaverses, right? They're actually doing that now and they've offered up NFT collections. To be honest, if they're listening, sorry, but this has been really weak offerings and most of them have either little to no utility or very short-term value. So Web 2.5 is interesting. I think this is the realm in which we can create applications that we don't necessarily have to make the mistake we always do, which is we focus a lot on the tech and why it does X and Y and rather, hey, here's a product and what it does for you. And I think if we can do that properly and we can set initiatives, and that's something we're doing at How Labs is setting an initiative to work with these companies and help them create more interesting mechanics. If we can do that, these product extensions, so to speak, can really, really push the adoption of, of Web3, at least as it pertains to NFTs. Yeah, that's great, man. And always appreciate your perspective. It's been a joy to work with you guys. And you guys are so authentically passionate about the industry. And you sort of have this great mix of clients that are just doing really innovative stuff. If people want to stay in touch, learn more about Howl, where should they go? Yeah. So in terms of how, just go at, at try Howl. And if you want to hear more of me and my uninformed opinions, you could just go to AM Ivan Alexander. This is all via Twitter. Awesome, man. And anything on Teller Finance you want to share as well? Well, I'll say this. So I will, I should, I think what you guys should do is bring Ryan, CEO of Teller Finance onto this podcast and he can tell you some pretty interesting stuff. Cool. Will do. And hey, we're on the street as we have a little giveaway that you put together very generously as well. Sounds like a marketing communication services credit of around a thousand bucks. Anything else you want to share with us about that? That's really amazing and very generous. Yeah. Well, I think honestly, to me, it's interesting for people to come and see how we're doing services at work. I think, let me put it this way. The best part of it is the fact that yes, you can use this on marketing and comms. And I think we have an interesting approach to share with people. So if you want to get some noise about yourself out there or just run a quick or cool Twitter campaign to engage your community, by all means, please use this credit. Come work with us. Yeah. And we've been working with you guys and I can't say enough great things about what you've been doing. We're running the NFTLA Twitter spaces together and kind of co-creating the Howl at the Moon Twitter space as well. And it's been incredible. So you definitely have a testimonial right here from us and we'll continue to want to develop our work with you. It's great. I appreciate that. Thanks for having me guys, by the way. It's been great. So great having you on, brother. We'll certainly talk soon. Okay. All right. Take care. Check them out, y'all. All right. So Ethan, I think we have our next segment queued up, which we've introduced very recently. Tell us about it. Oh yeah. We're talking about the why is it viral? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So this is just kind of a fun place to check out you know, what's going on in places like TikTok and the NFT scene. What are people talking about? What do they care to take a look at? And also just an excuse for us to check out uh, TikTok because honestly, we have better things to do than be watching TikTok all day on our off time uh, from the podcast. But yeah, so I'll bring up a clip here. We'll take a look at it and we'll chit chat and then we'll move on from that. This girl just made $7.5 million in 10 days selling NFTs of herself. So who is this and how did this happen? This is Irene Dao and she is 28 years old and she is a Chinese influencer. She decided to make NFTs of herself that looked like this or this and this. Irene just started selling these and it became obviously a huge hit. So this is the OpenSea page and you can see the floor price right here. So as you guys can see, this is the floor price, 0.64 ETH, and that is around $1,600. If you go to last highest sale, you can see that this photo sold for 8.88 ETH approximately 13 days ago. And if you want to know how much that is in USD, we can just convert it, 8.88. That is approximately this much. So this photo was the last highest sale and it was sold for $22,000, which I think is absolutely insane, but what do you guys think about this? All right. What do you guys think about this? Well, you know, guys, where where mine immediately goes is a few months ago, I started Josh Dow. So John, Zach, if you guys have any Web3 Joshes in your world, send them my way. There's about 23 Joshes now in this Telegram group. And I've been trying to figure out 
what do we do? And clearly we have to do what Irene has done here and start selling some NFTs together. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think that might have been from a uh, 0.6 ETH was like $1,600 or something like that. It would have been a few months ago, right? When that happened, probably like May, June, you know, timeframe at the most recent, still well into, you know, unsteady waters, you know, for the market. So if that's legit, you know, I mean, she showed it. I don't know if that's legit. That's pretty interesting. I don't know what her following was before or what her sales pitch is there. But yeah, I don't know how many folks saw that or. Oh, yeah. I've got to figure out. I got to figure. Yeah, I can see who many, how many liked it. It's 96,000 likes. And usually at that level of likes, it's millions of views. I mean, it's something point something million. I mean, I'll tell you something. Why is it viral? Answer that question. I don't know if you noticed, but the one we did on the last show had the same music. Dude, like Mr. Beast and those guys, they evaluate all those little details for their posts. I mean, everything like we're going to move this like an eighth of a second this way versus that way. I mean, they get super detailed. So I don't know. I don't know. You guys, so, Jack, so, John, any, well, any insights on, from your side? I'm on the website, guys. So Irene Dow is a global glassroots. Well, quick, quick question, though. Did we gather because you're making it sound like she started the Irene Dow and the girl said in the video, oh, that's her name. it's called her name is Irene Dow. Is it a coincidence? Did she start the Irene Dow? Is that? It's a Dow. And this is a, I think we're going down the rabbit hole. And the reason I think this sold is because it's much more than just a JPEG. It's a membership utility into the Irene Dow, which is for core values or simplicity, integrity, meaning, and purpose. And they've got a treasury to figure out later. But it's not for people named Irene like your Josh Dow is. No, no, no. I think you you don't have to be named Irene, but they will have some IRL events in Los Angeles where you can meet your queen. So, you know. Your queen. Okay. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. (laughs) Interesting. I don't know. I don't know, John, Zach, what y'all think, man? I don't know. I mean, at first glance, I didn't. I was like, all right, I don't know. It seems kind of like maybe not real, but it sounds like it's real. Yeah, it sounds like she got in perfect time just before the crash. (laughs) (laughs) One of those. Yeah, good timing. I did think it was interesting that she thought her the girl that posted it, she definitely said her name was Irene Dow, which was interesting. Yeah, but is the Irene Dow. So, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. All right. Well, hard to say. That's TikTok, the state of TikTok these days. Yeah, I'm sure we could find some other ones today. So here's my trend. Okay, the music worked. That was from the last one. And also what I'm seeing on TikTok, all you have to do is show something and how much somebody paid for it. I mean, really, that's the thing, right? Here's what this is. Here's how much it is. And then you ask what in the comments, is this worth it? And that's a nice formula. Yeah, it's we're we're fascinated by it, right? Yeah, the the different elements that, that make something like that catch, right? So Let's get over to uh, one, one, sh- one more one more thing. I just went a little further down the rabbit hole and you click on their site and then there's another site called SoCol.io. And this is some sort of social application and their investors are Animoca brands, blockchain capital, Kronos. They're partnered with nothing, Amber Lounge and Habitat. So there's a whole rabbit hole here. Interesting. Okay. Maybe we'll have to dive a little deeper. Guys, before, before we wrap, we want to take a minute here, though, and give a little bit of love to somebody that's moving the needle in your orbit, John and Zach. And this is really intended to just, again, elevate folks that are, are making a difference in our lives. So we want to take a minute and turn the floor over to you to, to share a little bit of love with someone that's doing that. Well, cool. yeah. Now, I guess for, for me, I would my head would go straight to the 24 artists that are involved in the Rare Pass launch next week. They put Rare Trust in, in Super Rare, and we couldn't be more excited to be kicking off this year-long program with them. I mentioned them earlier, but I'll give them one more shout out. We got Ann Spouter. We got Carlos Marcial. We got Colby, Alina Sarin, Matt Kane, Krista Kim, OSF, Otherworld, Pindar Van Armin, Robness, Sarah Zucker, Xcopy. We've got Alien Queen, Botto, Die With The Most Likes, Drifter Shoots, Hackatow, Killer Acid, Mad Maraca, Omenta Jovem, Osinachi, Sam Spratt, TJO, and Yoznir. 24 are going to absolutely change the game. What a lineup. What a killer lineup. Amazing group. Yeah. So much love to that crew for really making it happen, right? Like pulling that together and couldn't be done without them. So Appreciate y'all sharing that. Mucho love to that crew. All right, guys, before we do wrap, we do need to make sure we let folks know where to follow you and all of your happenings. Everything happening over at Super Rare. Like, where should we be sending people? Because there's so much going on. 
Probably the first stop be the Super Rare Twitter, which is just at Super Rare. That's where you can learn everything about the Rare Pass, stay up to date with the DAO. I think that'd be uh, stop number one. That's it. Okay. Right on. And anything you guys are particularly active individually on socials that you'd like to share or stick with Super Super Rare? Yeah, sure. I think we're both fairly active on Twitter um, at Super Rare John. Rare Roses. And yeah, I would also just say rarepass.superair.com. That's the only place to buy a Rare Pass. There will very likely be many scam links next week. So rarepass.superair.com. That's where all the action is going to be happening. Yeah, y'all go check it out. Some really rad stuff coming out of there. So we appreciate it, y'all. All right. Well, I think we've reached the outer limit at the edge of NFTs for today. So thanks for exploring with us. We've got space for more adventurers on this starship. So invite your friends and recruit some cool strangers that will make this journey all so much better. How? Go to Spotify or iTunes right now, rate us and say something awesome. Then go to edgeofnft.com to dive further down the rabbit hole. Look us up on all major social platforms by typing edge of NFT with no spaces and start a fun conversation with us online. Lastly, be sure to tune in next time for more great NFT content. Thanks again, fellas, for sharing this time with us today. Yeah, thanks, thanks so for much. having us. You have questions about blockchain? Like, how big of a block can you chain without throwing out your back? Or have you received that chain letter? How did you block it? And does blockchain taste better, barbecued or deep fried? <laughs> Luckily, you don't have to ponder these quandaries alone anymore because Blockchain Training Alliance is here to answer them and also train you in real world blockchain issues that will impact your business's bottom line and oriented future forward along the ley lines of the most important tech humanity has perfected since harnessing atomic energy. If you're into those sorts of things, Blockchain Training Alliance is a top leader in the field, counting among its clients IBM, Microsoft, Disney, Morgan Stanley, and many more, and offering a wide array of technical and non-technical courses. Whether you're a computer neophyte training for an incredible career in this new space, or a coding expert honing your skills, Blockchain Training Alliance will help you steer your ship home safely, filled with treasure. <laughs> Arg. So hurry and sign up for the Blockchain Training Alliance course that best fits your needs at blockchaintrainingalliance.com. Use discount code EDGEOF for 50% off and start your next block today. This episode was brought to you by today's guest and sponsor. The creators of Edge of NFT will be compensated to support the production costs associated with the program. We are very selective when deciding who to have on these shows, but we are learning as we go just like you. The views expressed are for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only and are not intended to serve as an endorsement or investment advice. You are urged to do your own research as well as consult a reputable financial advisor before making any investment or purchase decision.